0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of Superman and Batman, the podcast that is finally old enough to drink, and that features your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. But you might want to keep the drinking thing in mind, because you just might need it with this story. Okay, okay, that's a little snarky. Accurate, but still a little snarky. It's actually a pretty fun story that we've got on tap this time, folks so long as you completely shut off your brain, because this time we are diving deep, deep into the heart of the Silver Age before we look at World's Finest Comics number 145. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the book was released on or around September 10th, 1964. It's got 32 pages, a cover date of November 1964, and a cover price of 12 cents. Our cover is by Kurt Swan and George Klein, and it shows Superman imprisoned in a jail cell, while Batman uses a... Um... Even though it looks like some kind of really freaky... Uh... Let's just say marital aid? We're gonna call it a Bat-Taser that shoots lightning bolts. Either way, Batman's using it to force Superman to eat his bread and water. So, our bread and water... Hang on, hang on. I I gotta use my Batman voice for this. (coughs) So, our brain water isn't good enough for you, Superman. Well, you'll eat it, or feel the sting of my Force Ray. And Superman replies, No! I don't know what's turned you evil, Batman! And and sorry, I I really don't have a, a Superman voice, but... He says, I don't know what turned you evil, Batman, but even though I've lost my powers, I'll never knuckle under to you, as these other heroes have. And in the background, we see really kind of tiny in the background we see a couple other random people that are apparently the other heroes Superman is talking about. Anyway, it's a decent cover. Um, Like the issue with the Bizarro story from several episodes ago, which also was from around this same time, there's just too much dialogue for my taste. But that was kind of a thing for comics in this era, especially if they were edited by Mort Weisinger, which this one is. So, Turning inside, our 16-page story was written by Edmund Hamilton and illustrated by the cover art team of Kurt Swan and George Klein, And all three men were the regular creators on the title from issue number 141 to around 159 or so when Hamilton retired. When a dark and evil plot reaches across space to Earth, it powerfully affects the lives of Earth's greatest heroes, Superman and Batman. For Superman becomes a doomed prisoner, and Batman becomes a ruthless and tyrannical warden of the Prison for Heroes. Investigating a noise in the Batcave, Batman is confronted by a huge glowing ball of light that tells him that help is needed with a conclave of heroes on a far planet. Being a superhero and totally awesome to boot, Batman steps up and is rocketed across space. Once arriving, the Ball of Light tells him they've landed at the greatest maximum security prison in the universe, one that holds heroes from different worlds. And moreover, Batman is going to serve as Warden. Batman says he'll never serve as Warden for a prison that holds innocent men. But the Ball of Light uses super hypnotism, of a kind and power no Earthman has ever faced before, to force Batman into not only becoming a Warden, but luring Superman there as well. The hypnotized Dark Knight preps his Force Ray, the weird phallic device from the cover, and sends a message across the stars to Superman. Scientists intercept the message, and Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane think it's fake. But, given that Batman has included a code word, CKBW, and I'll let you figure out what that means. I mean, they tell us in the book, but you're all smart enough to figure out what CKBW means. Anyway, Superman knows the message is authentic. The Man of Steel speeds across the universe, soon arriving on the planet and greeting his friend. But he's shocked when Batman orders him into the prison. And Superman's response is a lot like what the Silver Age Superman would say if he met the modern Batman. His, his whole personality has changed. He's become grim and domineering. Anyway, Superman begins to wonder how Batman is going to force him to do, well, pretty much anything. Because after all, he's friggin' Superman. But the Man of Steel's questions are short-lived as a huge filter somehow covers the entire sky, turning the Yellow Sun's rays to red and leaving Superman nearly powerless. Batman then uses the Force Ray to coerce Superman into the prison where we meet some of the other inmates, including Electric Man, who can generate terrific electrical current, Balloon Man, who can superinflate his lungs and fly, The Freezer, who can freeze anything, and... The Flame, who can, well, melt anything. Pretty much a group of folks that wouldn't even be good enough for the Legion of Super Rejects. So the Reject Legion of Rejects tells Superman... You know what I just realized? This is the friggin' Legion of Superheroes. It's Lightning Lad, Bouncing Boy, Polar Boy, and Fire Lad. (laughs) So the Legion of Rejects tells Superman about what a slave driver Batman is as Warden and how their powers have been rendered inert by quote-unquote metal vapors in the air and the temperature. Batman laughs, and Superman gives this story's version of the Bill Pullman speech from Independence Day. The next day, Warden Batman leads the prisoners, including a powerless Superman, out for hard labor. After hours of work, Batman tells Superman to dig out a rock from underneath a bigger rock. With what's left of his X-ray vision, Superman can tell it's a very dangerous job. However, after some more threats from Batman, Superman does it anyway, but ends up getting trapped when the rocks collapse on top of him, leading to a moment for Superman that's so emo that even I can't bring myself to recreate it in a podcast. And that's the end of part one. So part two. Superman has suffered greatly at the hands of his former friend and partner. But is it possible that even this could make the Man of Steel become cruel and vengeful? You're in for a shock when the tables are turned and Batman becomes the victim of... The Revenge of Superman. So the rejects dig out Superman, but as punishment, Batman forces Superman to do the work of all five of them until he's exhausted and can do no more. Batman then takes them all back to their cells taunting them even more. After Batman leaves, Superman assures his fellow prisoners that there might be a way out. And soon, as Batman sits, chillaxing in his office, Superman comes crashing through the door. In true George Reeves, all business style, Superman knocks the force ray from Batman's hand, and then puts the Dark Knight into a bear hug, rendering him unconscious. The next morning, Batman finds the tables are turned, as Superman forces him into hard labor ultimately pinning him with a huge ball and chain at the end of the day. Meanwhile, we learn the events of the entire issue have been watched and orchestrated by aliens on the planet Vor. We don't find out why they'd go to all this trouble, but the aliens visit the prison planet to find out how Superman got his powers back. Despite seeing Superman fly, they decide to call the Man of Steel's bluff and hit him with a Force Ray, which causes a superman to buckle under in agony. And you know what that means, kids? It's time to strap in, because we're about to take another ride down Exposition Highway. (laughs) Superman explains that he used what was left of his superpowers conveniently, only 99% eliminated by the Red Sun, to use his super breath to draw down pure air from the stratosphere. This allowed Electric Man to burn out the locks on the cell door. Superman then used what was left of his heat vision to warm the flame to melt the door to Batman's office just enough that Superman could bust through it. Again using his super breath, he chilled the freezer who then used his powers to quote, make Batman feel weak, numb, frozen, so that Superman's normal strength will seem super strong to him. Balloon Man then borrowed Superman's cape flying high into the sky fooling the Vorons or Oranians or whatever they're called the stupid aliens into thinking Superman's flight powers were back. He further confesses the ball and chain he used on the Batman was a fake. A hollow prop weighing only a few pounds. And it's at this point that the aliens look at each other realizing that the Dark Knight who they left by their spaceship, must have been in on the ruse. And, learning the hard way, that you never turn your back on the Batman. Through a quick flashback, we see Batman reprogramming the ship and sending it on an unmanned mission, into the sky and directly into the filter that's been converting the sun's rays. Superman explains that, while Batman was was unconscious, he built a (laughs) super-dehypnot... I can't even say that with a straight face... He built a super-the hypnotizing device of ancient Kryptonian science, which removed Batman from the alien's thrall. And now, with his powers returned, Superman easily destroys the alien's weapons and then flies Batman and the other former prisoners away from the planet, leaving the aliens there marooned. The end. It's no way of getting down. Cabin's very comfortable. I'll see that you have plenty of wood to heat it. Get enough food to eat. You're not going to leave us here. Now, wait a minute. Listen. You'll have to stay here till I can think up another way to keep you from talking. We won't talk honest. I don't believe you. Look, Do we give you back your costume? Who are willing to forget the whole thing. Ain't we confident? I can't take the word of would-be murderers and blackmailers. I'll be back soon with everything you need. Now, don't try to escape. Your lives wouldn't be worth a nickel. I'll see you soon. Now, now wait a minute. Listen. Don't wait <laughs> Right. So, clearly not the greatest story ever told. I talked a few episodes ago, the episode with uh, Captives of the Space Globes, about how stories with Batman and aliens on other planets are difficult to pull off. Strangely though, that aspect of this story didn't really bother me that much. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that while the story does take place on another planet, that's really just the setting. It's not about the aliens or Batman getting superpowers like the Space Globe story was. I mean sure the other inmates are aliens, but they're basically humanoid and no different visually from you know a myriad of other Earth Earth based heroes. And the more little green men style aliens, or, or little yellow men in this case, do come into play at the end of the story, but like I said, the story is not about them. This could just have easily taken place on Earth had there been a logical reason for Superman to lose his powers and the thugs to set up a prison for a, a universe of heroes. And I'm saying if there was a logical reason, but they really didn't worry too much about logic or motivations of the characters in the story, did they? We get no explanation about why the aliens went to all this trouble other than an offhand mention by Superman on the last page that they're making, quote, "...preparations for galactic conquest," unquote. Imprisoning Superman and a half-dozen lame characters on a random planet? Okay, let's pretend that they were planning on imprisoning all heroes everywhere, from throughout the entire universe. That's a really complicated way to go about things, especially with the folks they grabbed first, but more on that in a minute. Moreover, super-hypnotizing Batman into being your warden seems to be just asking for trouble. They say they selected Batman because he knows every security measure and every escape trick in the book. Which, okay, I mean to me that fits with Batman's character. But these aliens seem to know enough to know that Batman and Superman are both really good at what they do, but not smart enough to know that, well, first, they're really good at what they do, But two, that they hang out with the Justice League. You kidnap Superman and Batman, if they don't free themselves, you're going to get the wrath brought down on your head. (sighs) So let's talk about these other characters we see. We have Electric Man, Balloon Man, The Freezer, and The Flame. As I said earlier, this is basically Lightning Lad, Bouncing Boy, Polar Boy, and Fire Lad from the Legion. And look, I love the Legion, and as much as I understand that these guys were, the, the the guys in this story here were one-offs and not meant to be deep, well-developed characters. I don't want cut-rate knockoffs of the Legion of Superheroes. It's. I realize that they don't have room to give us complex characters, but give me something more than what is the very basic model. You've got an extremely simple power and a name that exactly describes that power. It's like Hamilton had 60 seconds to create a quartet of new heroes, so he's like, uh, okay, one shoots electricity, Electric Man, another makes things cold, the freezer, and we have uh, his opposite, the flame, done. And it bugs me even more that Edmund Hamilton was the one who created Polar Boy in Fire Lad about a year prior to this when he introduced the Legion of Substitute Heroes, So basically, he's just ripping off his own characters. And Edmund Hamilton was a much better writer than that. Um, The super hypnotism, the weird science, and the resolution with Superman, you know, conveniently being able to bring down pure air enough to activate the rejects' powers, that all largely speaks for itself. So I'm just going to say again, Hamilton was a better writer than this. And yeah, some of it, is just silver age comics but Hamilton could write better thankfully the story did have some good points Uh, Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane both get one panel cameos so that was nice we even get to see uh, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent briefly in separate scenes which I liked I liked seeing the idea put out there that Superman and Batman have set up this this code word the CKBW that only they know it's a silly code, but it shows Hamilton, Edmund Hamilton, putting some thought into their friendship and partnership, and the idea that they would plan out what to do in a scenario where they'd have to get messages to one another and how they can make and how they each can make sure that those messages are authentic. Um, I loved the scene where Superman busts into the office. You know, he with with just very few words, he walks up, smacks the weapon from Batman's ha- Batman's hand, and then wrestles him down. And I got a real George Reeves Adventures of Superman vibe from the total no-nonsense approach and, and demeanor that Superman had in that. And I liked, toward the end, when the aliens realized that Batman isn't hypnotized and that they've left him alone with their ship, just the, the realization of that and that they're absolutely screwed at that point brought a big, big smile to my face, and the art really sold it. Uh, but speaking of the art, you know, Kurt Swann and George Klein, what more is there to say that I haven't already said in previous episodes? I love Swan Superman, and while his Batman isn't my favorite Batman, by this time, Swan had drawn the character enough that he'd gotten a better handle on him. So he looks really good in the story as well. Um, overall, though, i got to give this one a thumbs down. Um, it wasn't as bad as certain other stories we've looked at on the show. But it had a lot going against it, and you know, as I keep saying, you know, another writer I might have given a pass on some of it, but Edmund Hamilton was a much better writer than this. So at the end of the day, it's 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 a disappointment. Uh, so I'm going to take a break, and then I'll be back for a look at the book's other content and what else was on the stands. And be sure to come back because the other stuff it's a pretty big month, and I'll be right back. <laughs> My name is Bob Fisher and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio that's Superman Forever Radio supermanforever.com Tangent an abrupt change of course Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to ash and dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. (laughs) Breaking in Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi weekly on iTunes and at GreatCrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. One of the promos you just heard was for Superman Forever Radio, which is now hosted by Bob Fisher. And Bob took over as host on the show starting with episode 79. And i got to tell you, folks, he has been knocking him out of the park right from the gate. Bob is a really great guy, and he brings a fresh voice and a new perspective to the world of Superman podcasts. Um, Getting Bob behind the mic regularly to talk about Superman is long overdue. Uh, He's been a fan of the character for a lot of years, and he really understands the core of who Superman is – but not in a uh, tunnel-vision, his-way-or-the-highway manner. Um, he, you know, he understands that there have been many depictions of the character, and I, I just really have enjoyed hearing his insights about different, uh, different aspects of the character in the episodes he's done so far. So I definitely want to encourage you to check out Bob's show, because it, it, it really is super. And I apologize for the pun. But getting back into this show, if you'd like to read the story we just talked about, it's been reprinted only twice. But not the two you might be thinking. The first was in World's Finest Comics number 197 from 1970, which was an all-reprint issue. Uh, That issue also reprinted the Green Arrow backup contained in the issue we looked at last episode. But sadly, the reprint didn't keep it from still being a completely ridiculous story. But the other reprint of Prison for Heroes is in Showcase Presents World's Finest, Volume 2. It's not gotten the archive treatment yet, because those books cut off with issue 116. The only other story featured in this book is a 7-page Green Arrow story titled The Underwater Archers, which is a reprint from a 1959 issue of Adventure Comics. There's also a one-third page text feature, Batman's Greatest Foes. And I really wish they would have done more with this. But my guess is that this was probably last-minute filler because it's the exact size of the third-page, uh, one-third-page strip ads that were in books at this time. Anyway, Batman's greatest foes. Some of the most bizarre criminals of all time have pitted themselves against the famed caped crime fighter of Gotham City and his young partner, Robin. Batman's arch-enemy, the Joker... Needs no makeup to achieve the unique coloring of his face and hair, for they were permanently dyed by chemicals with which he accidentally came into contact. This comedian of crime has teamed with Lex Luthor on two occasions. And just to stop for a minute, both of those are from issues of World's Finest Comics, and we will be covering them at some point down the road. They're not on the docket quite yet, but at some point we'll get to them. With his short, pudgy body and long, sharp nose, the penguin resembles his beaked, winged namesake. He bases his crimes on bird themes and employs trick umbrellas, which can be converted into anything from a parachute to a flamethrower. The Catwoman was really Selina Kyle. And it's interesting that this one is in past tense, and we'll get into why with the rest of the paragraph. But The Catwoman was really Selina Kyle lost her memory and became a criminal after suffering a head injury in a plane crash. After recovering her memory, she helped the law for a while, but ultimately returned to crime. Although she hasn't been active for some years, her methods have been copied by another crook, the Catman. And just to stop again, as I talked about a few episodes ago, the Catwoman was actually... The Catwoman? Catwoman. I get the article says The Catwoman. Either way. Catwoman was actually taken out of the out of comic books for quite a while because of the institution of the Comics Code, which you know didn't kind of frowned on the fact that Batman would be smacking around a woman. Uh, but then with the she was brought back in a couple issues of Lois Lane, and of course her fame on the TV show brought the character back to popularity again. Uh, to, but to get back into the text piece, Matt Hagen was transformed into Clayface who can transform himself into almost anything that is animal, vegetable, or mineral by the liquid in a mysterious pool. Batman finally destroyed the pool, but not before Hagen had analyzed it and learned to duplicate it. Two-Face, Mirror Man, Killer Moth, Scarecrow. It would take a whole book to tell of all the foes who have faced the Gotham Goliath, but we'll try to cover them all in future issues of World's Finest. And it would, like I said, it would have been neat to see them do more with that, maybe with some illustrations or, or just a little more information about you know first appearances or whatever, but it was probably just filler. So ad-wise, I noticed there's a lot of serial ads in this book. We've got a full-page ad for Cheerios featuring Bullwinkle and Rocky, as well as a two-page, or two-third of a page ad for tricks and a full-page ad for Lucky Charms. And there's also a few others for candy and toys and a muscle-building course, and a PSA about telling the truth. No DC characters in that one, though, just a bunch of generic kids. And the back cover is a really great ad for Aurora model kits featuring the Universal Monsters. And both the art and the coloring and, and, and really even the design of the ad are all pretty outstanding on that one. There's also a subscription ad, which would have let you order 10 issues of World's Finest Comics, Superman, Batman, or, strangely, Metal Man for just $1, which is $0.20 cents off the total cover price, basically giving you almost two whole issues for free. And lastly, we've got the Cape and Cal comments letters page, which has letters regarding issues 141 and 142. And we've not covered either of those yet, though 142 will be coming in the next couple months. Hint, hint. So now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And one thing I noticed looking at all the covers from DC this month is what a colorful and varied display it was. If you compare it to the books that Marvel was putting out, there's a lot more... Variety in the art. And that's not a comment on, you know, story or story quality. There were 40 or 45 books between the two publishers, and I've not read them all. But just looking at the covers, over at Marvel, all but three or four were by Jack Kirby. And while Kirby is Kirby, at DC, you've got Carmine Infantino, Joe Kubert, Kurt Swan, Dick Dillon, Mike Sikowski, and a whole lot more. And I think DC was beating Marvel on the variety of content too because they had superhero books romance, war as well as books like you know House of Secrets and Mystery in Space which were superhero-ish but also blended in other genre- genres whereas with Marvel it was mostly superhero or, or superhero-ish books and again Not a comment on story quality, just an observation from looking at the covers themselves. But to get into the actual books that DC put out this month, first is Batman number 167, where Batman and Robin take on agents of HYDRA. No, no, really. They fight an international crime group called HYDRA, almost nine months before Marvel's HYDRA was introduced. Justice League of America number 31, The Riddle of the Runaway Room sees Hawkman join the team. And Carter is the last hero to officially join the league, I think until Black Canary in the very late 1960s. But as big as that book is, I'd have to say, hmm, maybe even bigger is Aquaman number 18, which features guest appearances by Superman, Batman, Robin, The Flash, Wonder Woman, the Atom, Hawkman, and Martian Manhunter, as Aquaman is chosen as the new king of Atlantis and takes Mira to be his queen. Not a hoax, not a dream, not an imaginary story. The wedding of Aquaman. And with all due respect to, and I'm not even sure if he listens to the show or not, but with all due respect to Luke Giaconetti, who runs the Being Carter Hall blog and is a big fan of Hawkman and all his incarnations I'd say the wedding of Aquaman tops Hawkman joining the Justice League not only were that many guests in a book a lot less frequent in 1964 but a lot of people joined the Justice League throughout the years but Aquaman only got married once if you disagree feel free to write in and make your case michael at greatcrypton.com Next up, though, is Superman number 173, which, while not promoted on the cover, features a story titled Tales of Green Kryptonite Number 1. And this is the first of a series of four stories that are told from the, from the point of view of a piece of kryptonite. And th- the stories follow the life, so to speak, of the kryptonite, as it starts out as a statue that was awarded to Jor-El and then becomes Green Kryptonite when Krypton explodes, and then eventually becomes Red Kryptonite and finally Gold Kryptonite, menacing Superman at pretty much every turn. And all four parts were written by Otto Bender and are, you know, i got to say, kind of peculiar. But then again, there's a Golden Age Wonder Woman story that was narrated by a Christmas tree. So, who am I to judge? Detective Comics number 333 has Batman and Robin fighting a giant purple elephant on the cover. I think we're better off not asking about that one. Strange Adventures number 170 has a great Infinity cover by Dick Dillon. Infinity covers are those covers where the cover image repeats in the image itself into infinity. Uh, In this case, the guy on the cover is holding a copy of the comic with himself on the cover holding a copy of the comic with himself on the cover, holding a copy of the comic with him... You you get the point. But last but not least is Action Comics number 318, the cover feature of which is a Edmund Hamilton-written Superman story titled The Death of Luthor. Not to be confused with the Jerry Siegel-written Supergirl story from issue 286 that has the exact same title. But that's it. I want to thank you all very much for listening. Be sure to keep writing in. Let me know your thoughts on the show, the story, or whatever. If you think Hawkman joining the league is more important than Aquaman getting married, write in. I plan on doing another feedback episode probably at the end of July. So start sending me your emails, folks. And don't forget about the Haney Award, which is given to the listener that goes above and beyond in their efforts towards feedback or helping to make the show awesome. So if you want to win get cracking but that's it for me thank you all again very much and I will talk to you all next time goodbye when I was just a baby my mama told me son always be a good boy don't ever play with guns but I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die when I hear that whistle blow. I hang my head and cry. Thanks for listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Siegel Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. And I'd let that lonesome whistle blow my blues. Just wanted to make sure the song played through. Because you should never speak over Johnny Cash. Ever. Unless you're doing end tags. Then it's okay. So, the music that closed out this episode was Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. From his 1957 debut album, Johnny Cash with his hot and blue guitar. Now, normally at this point, I'd say something like, If you like this song... I'd like to suggest you head on over to 2 and click on the Amazon.com banner. But I'm not gonna say that this time because there's no if you like this song. It's Johnny Cash. You don't have a choice. So just go ahead, bring up your browser and go to 2 Go ahead, I'll wait. Okay, now click on the Amazon banner. Again, I'll wait. Now, Once you're at Amazon, do a search for Johnny Cash. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y space C-A-S-H. And buy any CD that comes up in the search results. Buy two Johnny Cash CDs, or three. Heck, buy them all, because you can't have too much cash. Plus, with everything you buy after you've clicked on that banner, two true freaks will get a little commission. You get Johnny Cash, and they get green cash. It's really a win-win. When I was just a baby, my mama put me in a rocket ship and sent me across the universe because the planet was going to explode. Now I'm stuck on a prison planet, and Batman is a jerk. (laughs) This is why Johnny Cash is the singer, and not me. Just saying.